I'm Holly Dutton, Senior Associate Editor at Multi-Housing News, and this is the latest episode of MHN's The Lease Up Podcast. In this episode, I speak with Doug Bibby, the longtime president of the National Multifamily Housing Council. We reflect back on the unprecedented events of 2020 and discuss, among other things, why he decided to postpone stepping down from the organization this year, where things stand at the moment with rent relief, and what makes him so optimistic about the multifamily industry going forward. Hi, Doug. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there just like the rest of us. I think we're all getting tired of this, and I'm hoping that these uh, vaccines will be um, both uh, uh, all around us and, uh, and very efficacious in, in helping us stave off this horrible, this horrible pandemic. Agreed. Agreed. It's tough to even know where to start, you know, looking back at, at 2020, which is almost over now. Um, which I think most people are happy about, but also kind of confused about because time has kind of lost all meaning. You know, it's it's been a heck of a year and the word unprecedented has been sort of ubiquitous this year, but it's really one of the only ways to describe it because so many things have happened that we've never seen before or haven't seen in many years. And you've been in the industry a long time. I mean, has any year compared to 2020? No, I was trying to think, um, you know, I, I've been in housing finance uh, for about 35 years and, and 15 of them at Fannie and I, you know, mostly uh, was on the single family side there. So my 20 years on the multifamily side, we've never seen anything like this. I mean, you go back to um, my first year on the job, uh, a couple of months into the job was 9-11. And, um, you know, that it didn't close down businesses. It didn't shut down restaurants. It didn't close retail. All that happened there really was that the insurance markets just froze up. And then businesses could not find reinsurance, um, you know, to protect themselves against any future catastrophe. So businesses, we had to all come together, particularly in the real estate side, and, and appeal to the federal government to be a backstop for us, which did happen, stabilize the markets. And then, you know, we heard at the time that, you know, downtown areas are dead. You're never going to see anybody in the downtown areas, particularly in the gateway cities. And then that didn't pan out either. And then we had the Great Recession. And that was really a financial recession. Um, it didn't, again, close restaurants, bars, retail, or anything else. Um, it, you know, it, it was caused a lot of pain. Um, and and um, it particularly hit the financial sector really, really hard. But um, this came so quickly and basically just stopped everything in its tracks. Businesses shut down on March 12th, most of them. In, in our side, in our business, people went back to their to their apartments and quarantined in place, twenty four seven. So, um, no, I've never seen anything like this where you had a medical tragedy or emergency, and you also had an economic down down uh, draft so rapid and so deep, and so you know just that we, uh, just, as you said, it's unprecedented. So you were set to step down next month after 20 years at the helm of NMHC, uh, but decided to postpone until 2022 to kind of help navigate the organization through this year of challenges. Do you think, given where we are now, there's any chance you'd stay on past 2022? (laughs) Some people have been saying four more years for me, but (laughs) the answer is no. Uh, You know, I, I did this because... I started thinking about, you know, if they go out and, and, and recruit for my, uh, my successor and, and the person comes from outside, this hypothetically comes from outside multifamily, 
he or she would come into a situation potentially with the staff all virtually operating um, and we're going to lose money this year. Um, we're just like every other trade association. Our business model has had to change dramatically. Um, and so the person would come in uh, not knowing multifamily, not having any staff around and, 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 a, and a, you know, a multi-million dollar hole uh, to fill. And I just started thinking that's just not fair. It's not right. Um, the staff did not want me to leave. The officers uh, of NMHC uh, were very, very happy to have me stay on. So I feel good about what I'm doing and I think it's right. Uh, but as for longer term, I, I think I got to get out of the way for some younger people. So, but I, I, I love what I do. Uh, this has been a dream job for me. My stepping aside was not out of any other emotion or, or, or intellectual uh, uh, you know, result than um, just believing that it's time. It, you know, I'm getting up there, and um, but I love what I do. I love the staff. I love the members. I love the issues. I, I love every day that I work in this job. So, but no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to know. So, you know, some there's a lot of big moments in, in 2020. And one of the biggest things I know in multifamily and for NMHC has been federal rent relief which has been a huge push in the multifamily industry. There was some talk and some hope about possible stimulus relief coming before the end of the year, but it's kind of looking doubtful that will happen. So tell us where the kind of the push for federal rent relief stands at the moment. Right now, um, led by a bipartisan group of senators from both sides of the aisle, they are negotiating, as is um, Speaker uh, Pelosi with, uh, uh, with, with the Secretary Mnuchin. They're looking at what was a $908 billion package, trying to put it in two pieces. One piece would be rent, rent, rental relief, uh, unemployment insurance benefits, PPP, and some other things. And then one other bill separate would be aid to the states um, and also liability protections for employers. And um, those are both on track right now. You know, I've, I've stopped saying it's going to happen, but, it, you know, potentially we could see something tonight, uh, than the, the night of the 14th or, or tomorrow. Um, they've also got to, to, uh, to fund the government, uh, and they really have a very short-term, what we call CR, Continuing Resolution, that the president signed, but that just takes us to next week. So, um, you know, I, I'm guardedly optimistic. Um, the, the, the unemployment insurance benefits would be half of what they were last time. So they would be $300 a week. But even that, you know, people are getting $1,200 a month toward their rent um, and other expenses. And, and I think that's just going to help. And the small businesses that have been so damaged by this pandemic and economic recession uh, can get some additional help through PPP. So we, we really need this right now, or we're going to run into some severe problems. And, you know, and I know another big thing has been, besides the loss for many properties hit particularly hard um, in markets, hit hard by unemployment by the pandemic was, you know, the upkeep uh, with so many people in their homes 24 seven, there's more wear and tear um, on properties. And then, you know, all the PPE for staff. So how have owners been dealing with, with this? I think, um, you know, the good news has been how the industry has responded, you know, working with residents and how the residents themselves have responded by, you know, meeting their obligations. So, um, you know, for the most part, up until now, um, you know, rent payments have been coming in in the, you know, the 90 percentage 
rate, you know, from April all the way through November, um, some in the mid 90s and some of the lower 90s. But so that has enabled operators to keep an even keel. But you mentioned, you know, PPE. There's also, you know, the expense of keeping these communities safe and clean um, and the expense of just dealing with the flood of packages and trash uh, that, are, that are multiples of what, what they traditionally see. So, you know, it is beginning to fray. Um, and then we're seeing, we've, we've seen a, just a slight erosion, but each month a slight erosion um, in these payments coming in because people are running out of resources. So, uh, you know, to this point, the industry's held up really, really well. And when you look at office and retail and hospitality, we are, you know, we are looking like we're, we're in the, you know, on vacation, uh, which is not the case, but we are certainly in a far better place. You know, one of the other big moments this year, not just related to multifamily, but kind of a big nationwide moment was the, um, the big movement for racial equality, you know, following the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Aubrey. What has NMHC and, and the multifamily industry as a whole done to address issues of racial inequities in our country? Yeah, thanks for asking. I mean, I think we, we, we've had a diversity and inclusion uh, committee for 15 years here. But, you know, when this happened, I think for me and I know for millions of other people in the country, it just it, it broke the dam. The African-American community has been facing this for centuries. And you know, the Civil Rights Act of 64 and, you know, started some things moving in the right direction. But this senseless violence and this disregard for the rights of, 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 of our fellow citizens just struck a nerve with me in particular here. And I just said, we just can't, I, I can't write an editorial or I can't give a speech that makes a doggone bit of difference. But what we can do is do th- something. And so I formed a racial equity task force and it has NMHC members on it, but it also has non-members, but people that I really respect for what they do. And we have been meeting uh, really since late May, early June. Um, and, and we really have been looking at a whole panoply of things that we as an industry can do. We're not gonna solve racial inequality by ourselves, but what we can do is open doors for economic opportunity. Um, and we're gonna do it through lots of different ways, but let me give you a few examples. One is that we're looking at the pipeline that you know, starts with one of our partners, the Real Estate uh, Executive Council, which is the preeminent uh, African-American association uh, in real estate, uh, actually has, has, has partnered, uh, you know, with, with colleges for internships in real estate uh, for high school kids. Um, Fannie Mae and the Urban League have a program uh, called Future Housing Leaders, which uh, partners with colleges and universities, but, you know, predominantly with historically black, but not all. Uh, colleges and universities, and they are working with us to, to, to open doors of opportunity for internships in the multifamily business. And the goal is to have a thousand uh, students every year in working in apartment communities, working for apartment firms, um, and then hopefully a number of them would, would be coming into the, uh, into the industry with, via jobs when they graduate. But this goes all the way through recruitment and, you know, of um, people of color their advancement uh, into the C-suite, which is going to happen and starting to happen, um, and all the way through boards of directors. You, know, you take a look at some of the really exemplary performances out there by Camden and CBRE and others 
um, and diversifying their boards of directors. So the pipeline all the way from high school kids all the way to boards of directors and everything in between is one area. Another is uh, access to capital and credit. One of the things I hear from my friends and people that I know who run minority-owned businesses is that, that one of the stumbling blocks is just getting access to capital and credit. You, 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 they'll say, well, we'd like, to, we'd like to give you the money, but what's your track record? Well, you can't have a track record until you have the money. Um, and so, you know, working with uh, financial institutions, um, I know that Wells Fargo and Bank of America and others are stepping up now um, to fund some of these programs. BlackRock's another one. So that, that's the second piece of it is how do we really promote this access to capital and credit? The third area is, is a huge area. You know, our industry spends billions of dollars on services, um, whether it's you know, lawyers, accountants, brokers, uh, you know, for custodial services, uh, you name it. We spend billions um, giving our money to those to help provide services to us. You know, the, the, the challenge there is to identify minority owned businesses and, and, and give them business. I mean, there again, the cart before the horse, you know, if you, you know how are you gonna get the business until you get the business? So, um, you know, those are areas also, you know, philanthropic giving, lots of our members have, um, have foundations. Can we help them direct that to uh, some of these areas where, where that really promote economic inclusion um, and, um, and then partnerships um, with all different kinds of organizations. I mentioned Reese, um, you know, there, there's, there are others ones out there that we are going to partner with um, to promote economic inclusion and economic opportunity. So I really feel, you know, the, the, the two passions for me over the rest of my time and probably well into when I go do something else are affordable housing and, and racial equality and economic inclusion. So those are the areas that, that um, I'm, I'm most focused on and I'm really proud of where we're going. We're gonna be uh, giving our members next summer uh, two different kinds of toolkits. One is to really help them understand how to how to promote DEI within their organizations. And then there's a housing equity toolkit to help them and their communities do a better job uh, there. And then the a final area that, that I really feel strongly about is um, breaking down some of these regulatory barriers uh, and frankly, uh, historical uh, racially generated barriers like exclusionary zoning that, uh, that really were, were designed to keep people of color out of you know, homeownership communities. And um, they're, they're completely out of, out of sync and out of date uh, in our society. And, and I'm gonna keep speaking out against exclusionary zoning um, and everything that I do too. And I hope that my colleagues, uh, you know, in real estate will be doing the same. So there's a lot going on and I, it's a passion. Thank you for the update. Uh, you know, you mentioned partnerships and it, it got me thinking about one kind of nice thing that I've seen that's happened during the course of the year. There has been a lot of of teaming up and initiatives formed within the multifamily industry to tackle, you know, challenges brought on by the pandemic. Do you think that this kind of team effort and collaborative attitude between organizations and groups is something that's going to continue on long after the pandemic is over? Yeah, yes, I do. And I think, you know, one thing that may not be well understood by observers of our industry is there's a tremendous amount of cooperation that goes on. It's really kind of stunning. Uh, you'll see people who compete uh, in one area for for business, but but we're also partners in in another, uh, or you know one is invested in another's uh, venture. 
Um, so there, there's a lot of that that goes on maybe underneath the, the site level um, of, of cooperation um, uh, within, you know, friendly competition. Uh, but this, this is, uh, this, this level of cooperation and partnership out there is extremely heartening to me. Uh, and I don't, I don't see it uh, waning at all. I mean, I, I also will tell you that I've gotten a lot of feedback from my members um, really wanting to be part of this whole initiative on economic inclusion. Um, and I don't, so I don't see this, you know, fizzling anytime soon. I think that um, th this is a seminal moment. And I, I do think that uh, it will carry us through in, in many important ways as we go forward. And I wanted to touch back on something we talked about earlier. You know, you're mentioning when we're talking about rent collections and, you know, you guys have the rent tracker payment every month, which has been great. And it's been doing well, you know, there's been over 90%, like you mentioned, but things are kind of starting to fray a bit. And I'm sure you've seen, you know, there was one recent report that estimated that something like 12 million people have racked up an average of over $5,000 worth in debt and rent payments and utilities. Are you worried about what might happen down the line with with back rent and, and debt for renters? Yeah, I do worry. I mean, I think um, what I've been saying to policymakers, the media, or anybody who listened to me, is that we proved the concept, you know, that the, the unemployment insurance benefits staved off any potential problems with evictions because people had the resources to pay their rent. But the average renter household has about $5,000 of net worth. And you, you know that they've blown through that by now. And, you know, I also know that increasing numbers, although they're not huge yet, of our residents are using credit cards. And as you know, credit cards are just, you know, kicking the can down the road a bit because you've got to pay that bill. So, yeah, I worry. I don't think it's going to be like 70 million, you know, 70 billion dollars or whatever they're saying about it. But I do think the number is going to be potentially big uh, because people have been accumulating um, debt. And if we can't figure our way out of this to help both the, the landlords and the renters, uh, we, we will have potentially some serious consequences ahead of us. And that's why we've just been nonstop beating the drum for continued assistance in, in, in the form of rental, rental uh, you know, renter's assistance, but also unemployment insurance benefits. So this is kind of a broad question, but what needs to happen to, to keep the whole multifamily ecosystem you know, stabilized short term and, you know, looking ahead? Yeah, well, I, as I said, I think that, you know, the short term is going to be the, the assistance that we can get because, you know, th this industry thrives on job creation and job growth. That's that's what drives our business, um, you know, and because and so the, you know, it adds to mobility and people rent their therefore because they're moving from place to place um, and renting renting's a good choice for them. Um, but if jobs aren't there. Um, they don't have that same you know, means to, to, to earn money, but also the ability to be mobile. Um, and so I, I would say that you know, when we can get the vaccines out and if we can get over this hurdle of misinformation and disinformation surrounding vaccines and people will begin to, to follow the, the medicine, then I think that we, we, we can calm things down. Employers will feel more confident about opening up their doors again. Um, you know, what we're seeing in the short run right now is states beginning to, to hunker down again. Um, you're looking at California and, and others um, beginning to really retrench because of the spiking of cases, Texas and Florida and, and California. So when, we, when things can settle down, people can get back to work, get back to jobs. Businesses feel confident about 
creating jobs, then I feel that we are in a very good place because, you know, don't forget, we, we have the highest percentage of young adults living at home we've had since 1940s. Now think about that, okay? So we've got all this pent up demand. You've got no over leveraging in this business. Uh, you've had people be able to lock in interest rates they know for 10 year debt that they never thought they'd see in their lifetimes. So you, you have pent up demand, you have no over leveraging, you have you know, very sound financial you know, status. And so I do think that we're going to come screaming out of the gates when we can stabilize the health situation, begin to open business doors and begin to create jobs. And then I think it's Katie bar the door. After that, I think we're in a great position to excel. I know it's hard to predict, but in terms of a recovery, we've got this great vaccine news now. In fact, the first vaccine I think was today in, yes. in New York. When do, you, when do you feel like things are going to really start to get back to normal? I think if what Moderna and Pfizer and others are doing begins to get the quantities out there that, that Secretary Azar said yesterday on, on, on Face the Nation that we'll have, you know, 600 million to 700 million doses for a population of 350 million people and not all will take it. But, you know, we have that sort of capacity if people can begin to get inoculated, then, you know, I think, I feel, I feel pretty good. I really do. You sound pretty positive. Yeah. So, you know, looking back on the year, which I'm sure you've started to do or have done so through as the years has gone on. I mean, do you pull, you know, some positives out, some lessons learned? What really stands out to you? Well, I, you know, I, I was, first of all, I was incredibly gratified that my staff, without my asking them, stepped up with a the whole to-do list for our members to how to prepare for the pandemic, um, how to prepare themselves, how to prepare the residents, how to work with them, how to communicate with them. Um, just advice, you know, it wasn't, you have to do this, but it was advice and they did it and, it and it was really well received by the industry. And then the members stepped up with, with protocols and reaching out to residents, communicating with them as much as they possibly could. But I was incredibly gratified by how renters just stepped up and met their obligations. And what it said to me was, number one, they really, really treat their credit history seriously. Uh, they may want to buy something down the road. It may be a house. It may be something else. And they don't want to have that credit history marred. And so they've gone the extra mile um, to pay their rent on time or as, as best they could. So there's this whole ecosystem working together that, that we've seen produce incredibly positive results so far. And so that to me, because I went into April thinking the bottom's going to fall out. People are, you know, and plus we were, people were calling for, you know, rental vacations or they were, you know, they're going to withhold their rent. We had all these, you know, and it did happen in a few small areas, but for the most part, you know, what I thought would happen didn't happen. And, and in fact, it just month, every month I would say, well, June could be bad, you know, and then it was, well, August could be bad. Um, and then it was certainly September can be bad. Uh, and, and that didn't happen either. So I, I would say just uh, the way that everything came together in such a positive way was was surprising and enormously gratifying. I know there was a lot of fears in, in March and April. It sounds like your, your worst fears did not come to fruition. No, except that 
I, I've seen a lot of lives turned upside down and that's really, really sad. Yeah. I've seen small businesses, I've, you know, some friends of mine are just hanging on by one fingernail right now. Others have lost their businesses. You know, both my kids are unemployed. You know, it's just, um, it's that part of it's been really tough and continues to be tough. And I lost some friends. I lost friends to the, to, to COVID-19. Um, and that was, that was hard too. Very hard. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Well, looking forward to, uh, 2021 and <laughs> vaccines and just, yeah, trying to get back on track. It's been a year. Would you say it's the, the hardest working year you've ever had? Yeah. <laughs> Or the most stressful? <laughs> so this is the, the, the hardest, the most stressful yeah. year I've ever had in my, my career. Absolutely. Uh, there, you know, I'm, I'm going to get a t-shirt that says good riddance to 2020. Um, and then a middle <laughs> finger on the back, probably, uh, you know, something graphically. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's the hardest, most intrusive year. You can never get away from it. it, it you know, it just, and we're all, I just, you know, we have to say to the staff, don't use your phone on the weekend. Don't text or email, but so much is going on. And as soon as I say that something breaks and then we have to bring the staff in over the weekend and, you know, uh, virtually of course. Uh, But, you know, (laughs) yeah, it's been a uh, very, very stressful year. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and uh, share your insights and, you know, hope you have a good holiday break and mm-hmm. um, looking forward to better days in 2021. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for, for, for including me. And um, let's, let's hope that 2021 is just a, a far better year for all of us. Agreed. Thanks. <laughs> thanks, Doug. <laughs>